So before we start today, here is our annoying legal disclaimer. All views expressed are our own and do not indicate the opinions of any employers or clients for whom we work. The recommendations or advice given in this podcast may or may not be right for you depending on your circumstances. Please bear this in mind before taking any action. Welcome to Charting Tracks. I am here with my beautiful co-hosts, Ben Hensi Garside and Chris O'Gorman. What's up, y'all? Hi. Just to remind you who we are, Ben Hensi Garside is a voice coach, a multi-instrumental composer and producer, previously was an A&R scout at Faith and Hope Records, is currently a lecturer at Leeds Conservatoire, teaching voice on the popular music course there, and a father of two wonderful young men, or, or well, boys, they'll be men soon. <laughs> Chris O'Gorman is a digital marketing strategist. He was the digital manager at Sony Music and former head of digital at Capital Records UK. He runs a digital marketing agency and he also works in artist development, branding and marketing. My name is Amir. I am a record producer, a Grammy award-winning audio engineer. I'm co-owner of Bison Productions, a facility for music production and podcasts, a recording studios, and I'm director of Garnish Music Production School in London. So guys, today we are going to discuss something that's quite important when it comes to being an artist, which is recording your own music. And... Um, I suppose the art of recording something we've all had the experience of doing um, at various stages. I go through this every day, as you probably well know. Um, and um, we're obviously, um, when we talk, we talk to everybody who is an artist and who's going to need to get records together, aren't they? Let's just put it that way. You're going to need to have some music to put on to Spotify or Tidal or Apple Music or whatever streaming service, some music to play at your shows, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And um, this is really um, the product, really, isn't it? It's, um, it's what's going to be quote-unquote sold. So it's something that's quite an important thing that we need to take a look at. Um, Today we're going to kick off by talking about the roles that we can find in recording, right? So it's going to be about who is going to be doing what in the recording process. Obviously, we're going to have vocalists and musicians and maybe backing vocalists and depending on what you're going for. We're going to have producers, we're going to have engineers, all of this kind of stuff. So um, ben, let's kick off with you. Talk to me about some roles in recording. Okay, well, I, I suppose the first one um, that, that comes to mind will be the, uh, at the risk of starting slightly outside of the recording process, the um, composer. Mm. Now, I know there's, a, there's traditionally a divide between the composition process and the recording process, but then there are plenty of examples of artists for years who've who've been kind of combining both yep um there's um so so the the, the composition process um can uh, 
happen before the recording, but it can also happen during the recording process. Yeah. Um, so th- that's worth a worth a mention. Um, then there's obviously there's the performers, whoever they're going to be. Um, some people will be like traditionally will be included as or categorized as the artists, uh-huh. right? They're the people who are going to appear on all the pictures and the promo shoots, and um, they're the people who are likely to be credited in the album, and they're likely to be visible on stage during performances. Um, but then there were the there are there are session musicians. Okay, so they're they're going to be turning up, and they're not going to be artists. They'll be seen as distinct, usually from the artist yep yep for sure there are always exceptions to this rule of course so you know for example the the one that's coming to mind for some reason to me right now is say the Foo Fighters Um, Dave Grohl was an artist in the band Nirvana he moved from being a drummer in Nirvana to singing so he was kind of the artist but then he recruited a load of session musicians that he was working with Mm -hmm. um, to be in the band and be part of the part of the band that are the Foo Fighters and they're kind of in the band, so to speak. Um, so there is like there is sometimes crossover, and other times then not. You know, you you get you get the musicians. They just they show up in the studio, and they play their parts. They take their fee. Um, they probably won't have any royalties or anything coming through. I mean, they might do, but um, often often they won't. And um, they they take their fee. They go home, and that's that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they're your kind of main distinctions as far as performers are concerned. And then you've got the people that need to capture the sound mm. in numerous ways. Mm-hmm. The producer's kind of the bridge. That's how I see the producer between the creative stuff mm-hmm. and the kind of scientific recording process stuff, right? And then the engineer is going to support the producer with their... Like scientific knowledge, what different mics are, where to position the different mics. The engineers might help treat the room. They're likely to know how to use the equipment. I mean, producers also will will wear both hats simultaneously sometimes. Mm. So, you know, you get producer engineers, depending on the project. And then also with producers, depending on the genre, people often describe like people that make beats as producers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, which that's where the producer then kind of is blending with the composer arranger. There's a there's a lot of overlap here. Um, I, I suppose the thing to take away from all this is is make sure you clarify before the beginning of any project what everyone's role is going to be, and some of these words will help with that. Um, but as ever, they end up not being so hard and fast. Yeah, for sure. Who else? Then you've got uh, if if there's a. A&R rep from the label, they might be hanging around a bit. Um, so they're going to have a, they're going to be interested in how the, how the project's going. They'll be looking over it. They might be involved in, um, well, that's what the repertoire part of A&R is, because um, A&R stands for artist and repertoire. So artist is the kind of artistic persona stuff that we're talking about for the branding and all that kind of um, gubbins. And they're, they're interested in, in that from the label side. 
Um, and then the repertoire is like which songs are going to be on the record. Obviously, the producer's going to have an import. Also, hopefully, the, the, the artist, but, you know, not always. It depends on the deal. It depends on the, the way the deal's structured. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. And then uh, once the record is made, um, then it will need to be mixed. That's an engineer is going to do that, or maybe the producer as well. Um, and once it's mixed, then it's going to need to be mastered. I mean, maybe we can get into the nitty-gritties of what we mean by mixing and mastering later. And then it's going to need, um, after it's mastered, and it's then to be submitted to the label, or if a label doesn't exist, then it just needs to be um, released by the artist themselves or, or whoever, and then it, there needs to be some form of distribution. Mm-hmm. The record needs to get from being um, these days. It's usually some kind of computer file bits. It needs to be able to get from that computer file into people's homes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of digital distribution. Streaming seems to be the way these days. Mm-hmm. Um, in my father's day, it was vinyl records. In my day, it was cassette and CD. Yeah. Then there was this period of MP3s. Um, mini disc. Oh yeah, don't, yeah, don't forget mini disc. <laughs> There's about six months when mini disc was the thing, <laughs> right? Um, and um, and now it's largely streaming. Exactly. So Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, all these sorts of places, Bandcamp, SoundCloud. Yeah, if I is that comprehensive? You've covered a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Chris a couple of things actually. Mm. Chris, um, as someone obviously you've made your own music as well, um, but as someone as who works in more on the business side of things uh, in the industry, um, you know Ben mentioned an A and R, and you know how involved they would be in a record. Um, what about other people that we've missed? Maybe a manager. Mm. How involves a manager? That's that's a good. It's that's a good point because what you were saying there was like that's when you said the A and R rep. I'm like, well, that's kind of my sort of touch point to all of this. You know, because the the kind of recording process is sort of cloaked in mystery a little bit from a, from a label perspective, and it's a lot of the times it's like depending on how involved the A and R person is. Um, like if it's a new artist um we're breaking a new artist the a, like the a and r will be very much driving the whole thing and they'll be literally setting up the session setting up the you know producer you know hooking, hooking the artist up with writers and producers and they'll very much be coming from the label mm-hmm. um and in, in those instances it's like our oh, the a and r person is sort of our direct link to the session and so we know what's and they sort of update the rest of the team on what's going on and what how far along the process is what's working what's not and they're constantly so like we'll sort of have like um in a sort of traditional label structure you kind of have like a weekly marketing meeting but you also have a weekly a and r meeting where the a and r team kind of meet up and sometimes again this is what i talk about being cloaked in mystery sometimes the a and r team will invite the marketing team in to come and sit in and that'll be normally like oh we got something good uh and i remember like in, yeah, instances with um, uh, with Sam Smith and with First Second to Summer uh, in particular when we were brought in and, and, and normally when it's we're being brought into the A&R meeting it's like ah they think they've got a single that's mm. what it is and it'll be like do we go with this single or this or um, 
but for me it's kind of very much like yeah the recording process is really cloaked in mystery <laughs> from the from from the um from the label side um and even more so like as i said before um if it's a you know if it's a a new artist the the a and r team will be really driving the whole thing once it's an established artist and particularly if they're like a an artist that's very much like a singer songwriter or somebody or a band or like very much in, in control of their own sound you know um often they kind of wrestle a little bit more power from the label so the label essentially to some extent with some artists like especially kind of sort of six artists are more sort of singer songwritery type you know like i'm thinking like an artist like bjork or somebody like that will end up they're really pretty much or, or their manager as you said will be probably be really taking the reins on the project and if a and is allowed to come in it's like the label's writing the check <laughs> to pay for mm-hmm. all of these people that you mentioned to pay for the studio mm-hmm. to pay for the engineer etc but um uh more and more kind of actually the, the as their as their careers kind of progress actually the um the the artists and their management team is more in charge of the process and the sort of the A&R sort of checking in and, you know, and sometimes they can then put a little bit of a wall up and it's like, oh, the a and coming today. We have to. <laughs> so it's interesting mm. how the, the, the process um, changes as an artist kind of goes on in their career. But at the start, it's very much like the, the A&R person is the, the boots on the ground and that's how we know what's going on. The other thing actually to mention is because of like, what I do in like social media and digital and digital being such an important part of the process now from early, early on, we'll probably be doing stuff, capturing stuff like video content and social media content from the studio. So as well as all of those people that you've mentioned, then it's highly likely you'll have a videographer hanging around and a photographer at some point, And somebody may be live streaming some stuff on Instagram, like the social media manager might be there live streaming some stuff for the artists as well. Um, so you've got then got those people now in the mix as well who aren't necessarily working on the, the recorded product itself, but they're capturing the process because then we'll go and use that in a, you know, we'll use that content on social media afterwards. It will go into an EPK or go into, you know, the marketing materials. Mm. So, yeah, so it's so interesting, isn't it? Because, um, I mean, like, obviously, if we look at it from the most simplistic kind of vantage point, as it were, um, we only see um, an artist maybe and a producer um, and a few musicians and an engineer. But really and truly, when you're operating on a certain scale, you are going to start to find actually there's more people around in the studio and um, they might not be directly part of the process, but they're there and um, they're, and they're perhaps influence your recording in one way or another. It can happen. Um, um, one of the things that c- becomes quite apparent when we when we talk about all of the potential people that can be in the studio, um, where in a way we're looking at it from maybe a major kind of label kind of operating stance point. However, um, as an independent artist, you probably need to consider having certain people in the studio as well. There's the obvious people. Um, you're going to need perhaps an engineer, perhaps a producer, all of those kind of people who are directly part of the process. But as an independent person, it can be good to have other people around in the studio as well. Like Chris made mention of videographers, maybe even digital marketing, um, whoever it is. Um, 
having those people around in the studio, not necessarily, shall we say, um, um, in putting on the recording process, but in a way you need to start to perhaps when you're recording something to think about where it's potentially going to go and whether that should or shouldn't impact your recording process at all. Um, okay, so um, one thing you know that I personally tend to find is that the studio, when recording, it a lot of people prefer it to be a private space um, for obvious reasons. Um, but um, I think when you look at it from a business perspective, when you look at it from I want this record to do the best that it can possibly do. Uh, I want this album to do as much as possible. We're going to have to have other people around um, and we can't be as private as we want it to. However, much of my recording experience um, it w would mean that I could tell you there's no more than three people in a room at a time um, when an artist who is recording their vocals, um, they want that space, they want that privacy, they want people around them who they trust. Um, and that's all, that's who you can expect to find in the studio. Um, obviously, maybe your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your mum, grandma, all of these people can turn up from time to time to time as well. Um, so one role that came up and I think um, kind of just let's ding into this role a little bit. A&R, which stands for Artists and Repertoire. Um, you know, Ben made mention of the fact that this would be perhaps someone who influences the sound of the record. And Chris made mention of the fact that this person is a go-between between the record label and oftentimes the artist as well. Um, what would you define... Let's start with Chris here because Ben has done some A&Ring um, in his time. Let's start with Chris here. Uh, what would you define an A&R to be? I guess there's two sort of main um, types. There's a sort of the more the way that you probably get into it initially is the more sort of junior A&Ring, junior A&R person, which is probably like the scouting, which is kind of what pe I think people traditionally think of. They think A&R, they think of like a talent scout. Mm -hmm. That that tends to be how people get into it in the first place. It's like they, you know, they've got their finger on the pulse. They're kind of out at gigs. Well, again, pre pre COVID times, they would have been out at gigs pretty much every night. I mean, I know like the kind of talent scouts that we had at Capital were two, three, possibly four gigs a night. So they're going from one thing to another, like constantly. Um, and when they're not doing that, they're scouring YouTube, scouring SoundCloud, scouring Spotify for, you know, unsigned mm -hmm. talent. Of course. So there's that type of A&R person. Um, and then normally what happens is those people progress in, in their careers and then end up becoming uh, sort of A&R coordinators, um, which would be the more kind of, um, they're kind of, working in the a and team but they're more um so rather than then just focusing on the sort of going out and scouting new talent they'll be working once the artist is signed they'll be working with the signed artists and mm -hmm. they'll be facilitating the recording process and the, and the writing and production process so they'll be um they won't tend to have loads of um input on what the sound should be and what producers they're going to use that's a higher level so the sort of structure is you know like i guess 
sort of talent scout type A&R there, then sort of A&R coordinator, then maybe an A&R manager, and then your sort of senior A&R or head of A&R. Head of A&R, and sometimes yeah. that will be, that A&R person will also be the head of the label mm-hmm. um, who has, you know, who has final say on everything. Mm-hmm. So normally with, with that A&R coordinator person, they'll be doing, you know, once the decision's made, we're going to use this our producer, we're going to use this studio. So they're doing the logistics of kind of getting it all booked in and making sure mm-hmm. that, you know, negotiating with the producer's manager and getting those sessions locked in and then booking the session musicians and then probably going down on the day to make sure that everything's running smoothly and mm. doing what needs to be done if that's running and getting a doing a coffee run for all the <laughs> for all the you know for, for all the musicians and, and for the producer and artist everyone um and then yeah so then that, so that's a and r coordinator and then you kind of move up to a and r manager where you're kind of probably more you've got more of a strategic kind of um, influence on the sound of the record and yeah, um, this, you know, the types of producers you're going to use, but that's kind of generally the two sort of main elements from, from, from what I've seen from the sort of marketing end. Um, but it'd be interesting to see Ben who's, who's done the role. Uh, Cause I, I, I haven't done the role. I've only observed the role from, from the other side mm. of the office. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually consider. I wouldn't have considered the work I did as even even A and R. Like I was a scout. Mm. Like I. I. What I did is I. I went to gigs in and around Leeds. Um, I saw bands. I got demos. <laughs> I enjoyed the uh, the guest guest being on the guest list of of gigs. I went to watch loads of bands. Um, I then. Um, kind of filtered a lot of that that mm. the stuff that was going on and sent the what the stuff that I considered to be the best onto somebody else at the label um and um yeah so so I I never never moved beyond being a scout mm. so in terms of my role that was it but but then you were obviously passing up the chain all of the talent that you had seen right yeah yeah so th- there is a kind of there is a kind of power in that mm. and mm-hmm. and you know at the end of the day if if a, if a scout doesn't if a scout decides they don't like a band or yeah. an artist well then nobody gets to hear it it will never cross the desk of because i think i miss uh misspoke a little bit when i said that kind of like it's scouting is a junior sort of thing and um uh, t- uh, sort of A and R coordinators, like the next step. I, I, actually, I'm not sure that's necessarily true because if you ha- if in house A and R team, that tends to be what happens. But actually, in the labels I've worked with, they have lots of trusted, quite seasoned, experienced scouts, as well as the kind of because they want obviously like young blood and stuff like that. Yeah, but they have um, sort of much more experienced, seasoned talent scouts that are sort of almost tipsters, like they like this is the act you know and they're bringing that and some, sometimes they're on like a um like on a fit like on a retainer you know and they're mm. sort of like providing you know and they're and they're sort of you know their word is really gospel and it's kind of like if if a tip comes from them they're like yeah 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 well let's check this out this is this is really um uh something you know an an, an act that we want to find out more so it's actually mm. i think ben's right it's actually they're really kind of the gatekeepers in a, in, in a way um, because without that initial first touch point, it's never even going to cross the desk of the the sort of A&R manager or head of A&R. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. True. Uh, and what were you looking for, Ben? What was going to um, pique your interest, uh, let's say? Uh, okay. Well, great songs. Um, tight performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and by tight, um, maybe I should reframe that. Well-intentioned. Okay, yeah. Um, and what, what, so what do I mean? So sometimes being out of tune and being out of time are exactly the that's the point mm-hmm. right so like you know if you know there was there was genres say where that that that's exactly what's and it's so it's there's this thing about artists really knowing who they are knowing what what they're about knowing the the organized or maybe not so organized noise that they that they want to what they want to make and then and then delivering mm. mm-hmm. yeah so yeah so that's 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 what I was on the that was what I was on the lookout for at, at the time stuff that moved me and that and that was good and tight and yeah and it needs to work it's no good having great songs but then not being able to deliver live yeah of course equally it's no good being able to deliver live and and not not have any great great material yeah, yeah. you know yeah of course yeah so yeah yeah I mean, obviously, you might be stating something which is which might be a bit obvious, but is worth stating again. Um, having the ability to produce a great record and also be able to translate that onto the live stage and vice versa um, is is something you're going to need to do um, <laughs> as an artist in today's day and age, right? Um, you're going to need to be able to make great studio records, but also have them. Um, compelling performances on the stage right my kind of my my background has, has often been sort of bands and and you know kind of rock and indian that that kind of stuff mm. um but like maybe you're a one of these producers i was talking about earlier who's also a kind of a ranger mm. uh it's really it's quite important that you find a way like if you just sit in your room with you know d- arranging in a box well, at some point you're going to need to think about how am I going to make this, you know, whether that's learning to DJ mm-hmm. as well, right. yeah, of whether that's, or, or built or, you know, using Ableton live or some of other course. kind of some, some software like that, um, to, to make the, to make the thing work. Um, we've actually got performance that we're going to be looking at that next time. We are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's interesting you sure. say that about producers because that's the thing. Because w- when you say producer as part of like you know obviously the the core recording process, I think of instinctively I think of like Dark Child and Timberland mm-hmm. and right. Red mm-hmm. One yeah. and people like that. But actually, then there's like the arranger type producers actually like David Foster and people like that that are actually they're not sat. I I think a producer. I think of somebody actually like Amir actually like you know mm. that's you know, on the computer, on the laptop, setting up the sessions and, and um, programming beats and programming simps mm-hmm. and stuff. And as well as obviously doing the, the live recording and the, vo- uh, you know, the vocal takes and stuff like that. Um, but then there are producers, aren't there, that don't even touch a computer, don't oh, even yeah. Yeah. program mm-hmm. a beat, don't, but they're, it's, it's just a different kind of, how does that is is that genre based? Is it like you know? How does that work? When you say that, one name comes and and just jumps out at me. Rick Rubin. Mm, oh right. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So Rick Rubin was obviously um, he started a label um, with Def Jam Records, where he started that with Russell Simmons and all of that, and then obviously he's got like experience with Black Sabbath and and, and I think I think he worked 
on a Black Sabbath record. He's worked on so many different records, Jay-Z, Adele, mm-hmm. um, Kanye West, um, all of this kind of stuff. But you won't really see, find him programming any beats. You won't even really find him adjusting any equipment. Mm. He is like, um, you know, um, it, it, it's probably like to do with performance. And, and I know there's a lot to do with vibes when it comes to Rick Rubin and stuff. Mm. And there's a very infamous um, video of him um, lying on a sofa whilst Jay-Z was recording an album and just going, yeah, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> and I know that um, my... Um, one of the partners that I do some production work with sometimes when I can't make it to a session um, I might be away or just whatever um, I call in and make some changes he says I'm Rick Rubening it (laughs) 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 he so yeah he's he's not got that hands-on kind of I can um, fly around this DAW um, like I can set this piano up to record or whatever but he's uh He's an important part of the mm. process. Is that because he's got to a stage where he's got so much experience? Like it's a little bit like, um, uh, like okay, if you were going to open a restaurant, you probably wouldn't have Gordon Ramsay cutting the vegetables. That's you, right. You're going to have him designing the menu. That's right. That's right. And overseeing the whole thing, right? Pretty much. Pretty much when you've got that kind of history, yeah. Yeah, and the the other thing as well is a really important part of the whole thing is the, the psychology of what's going on. And so just putting the team together, getting the right... But like, And there was, there were some producers that do that, aren't there? Like, mm-hmm. they don't even... They don't even have an mm. opinion. They just mm. get they get the people that have good opinions <laughs> and that they see yeah. could work well together. You know, these more kind of executive Exec- producer, producer types. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they just, they just make the thing happen and make sure the relationship's would work and then just let the thing go Mm. um so that you know that's even kind of perhaps one level even beyond um rick rubin i was going to ask you about um rubin amir because we've never had the conversation about bison studios and i wondered if there was any any link there because i there was i I remember seeing something um one of the that he has something in his studio he's got he's got a bison in his studio hasn't he one of his Mm -hmm. studios he's just Mm -hmm. got like a like a stuffed bison like and (laughs) stuff like that like why is that there like what's what's it could just be a branding prop because yep. this is how I'm crazy Rick Rubin and I have a bison in my studio. Mm. What is a bison? It's like a buffalo. Oh, right. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Of course, because your logo, yeah. That... It's kind of like a buffalo. Is, yeah. it, is it because it of that sense, or is it yeah. because I like he's a no. great producer and he's, he's done some wicked work. So, you know, if, it, if it's a nod in his direction, mm. you know. It, it's but... actually not. Um, ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough. But there's a, a funny story behind that. And actually, and actually the brand itself is not, um, I didn't name it. I didn't come up ah, with it. Okay. Yeah. It's my partner, my studio partner and my business partner, I guess, um, who came okay. up with that. But funnily enough, though, Going back to the bison being in his studio, <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll get stuff one in here someday. Don't yeah, worry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the uh, I think one of the things about that is he 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 also calls his studio the Shangri La. Mm. So um, oh, he does. Yeah, there's loads of sage burning and all of that kind of stuff as well. Um, yeah, and again because he doesn't really he doesn't really touch stuff in terms of he's not dialing in an EQ or a compressor or programming any beats or anything like that, but he is like, um, he's total vibes, you know? Right. Right. (laughs) Um, 
and just his energy and having his energy on a record in a room um all of that kind of stuff it just adds something to it and it's very strange um and chris you'll probably know about this guy because it, it's been it, it's been a contentious case of course with him uh, dr luke um who is oh, yeah. a producer Mm. And there's quite a contentious case with him and Kesha. Um, but mm. anyway, um, it, not speaking about that, but speaking about Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, um, at one point, he had a stable of 80 writers, just 80 people that he could reach out to. Um, and, and that's a big team to have, right? Mm. Um, mm. But the story goes that some of those people don't even play a bloody instrument. Mm. They're just there for their vibes. Um, right. And it's like, it's almost like some people are just good luck charms. Um, right. And it's so funny that you would, when you think of that as a role to have in the studio, you don't think of that as a contribution to a record. But I'm sure that if you go back and you look at certain records, they'd go, well, in all honesty, this person didn't touch anything. They didn't sing a line. They didn't do anything. Mm. But just having them there just gave me something, you know? And I, that that kind of soft, squishy vibes, <laughs> weird stuff, I think is actually really, really quite important. And yeah. As I'm getting older, I'm starting mm. to really bed myself. Like we talked on the, in, the, I think it was the first episode, mm. we talked about the link between music and spirituality and the, the connection, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I can think of all sorts of reasons why, say, a bison or a buffalo could be quite spiritually significant to people. Mm. And mm -hmm. so uh, there's... There is this kind of this stuff does or does need to be considered, right? Of course, yeah. Like I mean, even 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 thinking about the lighting mm. in the room. Well, yeah, exactly. And the, and the shape and this, like, the, mm. why should that affect? Why should that affect the sound? Like, there's mm. no direct correlation between the the color of the light in a room, but the the point that connects those two things is the human being exactly and we, we as well as being um as well as being like practical um mm. almost like scientific kind of creatures we're also psychological and spiritual and you know we love story and we love metaphor you know there's just there's there's weirdness around us mm. and that weirdness can be um, forgotten about well well i mean it's so interesting that you say that there's a few things that spring to mind um um i know that there's certain artists particularly who will want all of the lights off when they're recording mm. vocals right um so they'll ask for all the lights to be gone they might ask for one single candle in the live room with them a candle, in their vocal booth. A candle. so it's it's a something so there's something about removing electric light for them yeah. that that means yeah and, exactly. and and for those artists um do you hear the difference the thing when, is when you give them what they want or do you never know because they then she's not going to do it unless you do those things well yeah there's that as well isn't there <laughs> <laughs> right. um, uh, would they be different if they were singing with all of the lights on and really cold lighting and all of that i don't know um but it also it also goes and speaks to something so obviously here I have two studios and mm. one of them is very well lit. It's um, quite bright um, and uh, there's loads of plants and, you know, all of that. The studio I'm in at the moment is a lot darker. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, when people come in and work with me, I might choose to work with them in one room mm-hmm. or the other, depending on what I think would be best for, for them. Yeah. And best for the record and that we're working on. Um, but also, I will switch between the rooms as well. So sometimes I'll be like, I need that light kind of bright energy. So I'll move into the lighter room. Other days I'll be like, I, I, I'll, I'll be like, I've, I feel like I need to make something dark and moody, deep, all of that kind of stuff. So I'll be in this very room, which looks very well lit, but in reality, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's quite dark in here. <laughs> mm-hmm. It looks like yeah. mood lighting. It looks like a yeah. nice... Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> basically, yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's so funny how these things actually do play a role in in your recording and and how it can alter your recording based on your mood um based on uh, you know uh, just your environment has to has a lot to say in your actual record which is quite funny um when mm. i think about it um i know many people who have like they like to play with lighting um and rightly so i feel it will affect things, particularly in a room where you're going to be there for a long time. Mm. So if you know that you're in there for a while, you want to get the mood right. Um, yeah. And that's going to obviously impact your record. I know a lot of my friends out in LA. Um, LA is quite sunny all of the time. Mm. Um, very well lit, um, if you want it to be. But they prefer to just get um, in a dark room. Mm. Maybe won't even turn the lights on. They'll they think, believe, um, I can't even say really, but they experience music in a different way because of the lack of light. Um, they experience it in a different way. They hear music differently almost. Mm. Is it sort of like a, almost a bit of a sensory uh, deprivation thing where you limit uh, one sense and then your others are heightened, right? That's exactly what it is, yeah. Definitely a sensory, sensory deprivation. Right. Very interesting. Right. You never think about it, but you can, when you speak to people about it who work like that, yeah. you probably start to get a sense of, oh, but what if I did actually record my vocals in a completely dark room? That's the thing, I think, because I come at it from a sort of, obviously, from, from the more sort of, you know, uh, thinking from the more label side and sort of like, right, how's the recording going? Are we, are we done? Are we getting there? Like, how, when am I going to get this album delivered so that we can start ingesting hmm. it and scheduling yeah. it and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it, it, like when you just said the thing about like the artist, like I just want the candle and stuff. I know that my cynical self, but oh, here we go, <laughs> here we go. Turn the light, here, great. Turn the lights off, have a candle, and I would go just sing. Uh, but actually, you're right. It, 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 that's the thing from from my sort of cynical standpoint. It, it would be like, oh, well, is this just a bit indulgent? But actually, it does make a difference, doesn't it? Because it's um. Uh, if you're in a sort of bright fluorescent sterile environment, it's probably not conducive to, you know, giving a good performance. Um, Uh, I just want to caveat that with it. It depends on the performance. Unless, unless exactly. It depends on actually that's some kind of, you're going for some stylistic cold sterile type thing. And maybe you want that for, or maybe you want a bright, 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 I don't know if, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It depends depends what you're actually trying to Something that speaks to this probably the best. Uh, so it's now September, and last month it was August. And guess what? 
guess what gets recorded around that time? Christmas albums. Oh, yes, um, of course. Right. Yeah, so yeah. someone's in LA right now, or yeah. was last month, with basically a Christmas tree. Right. Um, Christmas lights. And all of that kind of stuff, and probably to make like feel, yeah, cinnamon scented candles and mince pies and all of that kind of stuff. I don't know if they do mince pies in LA or not, but whatever. Um, yeah, to make it feel like yeah Christmas, and that's contributing to their recording via their performance. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that more next episode. Um, but it's uh, it's adding to the sound of their record. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny you said that actually because it just made me think back to. When uh, when I was at Sony, we were doing Leona Lewis's Christmas album, and we were doing it in July. Actually, even earlier, we were recording it in <laughs> July. And I think like the lead single from that is like the first line of lyric is, "Snow is falling all around us." And she's in LA recording. It's like it's really not. <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> but you have to create that somehow, and I, that's what she had to do. They had to create the, you know, soft. I think they did it with sort of. Um, soft white sheets um curtains and stuff like that to make it feel snowy and wintry and yeah because it do, i guess it does make a, a difference to how they're especially on a vocal performance right yeah exactly and and i think one final thing to say about this i won't mention the artist very very huge artist um household name practically um when when this artist records I actually set up their room for them. Um, so I was involved as an assistant engineer on this session. And uh, the artist was American. Mm. They came over. And uh, typically you're like, I'll go and set a microphone up and what do you need me to do here? Blah, 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 blah. The first thing I do was wrap neon lights around the mic stand. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was pictures of John Lennon and Biggie Smalls mm. and, you know, Stevie Wonder and all of this kind of stuff. And various lights put around the room uh, all of that kind of stuff that was me setting up a session yeah mm. and so you know it kind of goes to show this is all part of the process the yeah. process this is all part of it's in in some way it's part of the sound because if i see a picture of um of of biggie smalls on the wall um and i'm recording something i might go let me think about how Biggie might do this or John Lennon or Stevie Wonder might do this. This is going to influence your studio session in a way that you might not actually have thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you mentioned, mentioned voice there, Chris, there are tiny micro structural, mus micro muscular mm. changes and alterations in, in anything in the vocal tract is, is going to affect the timbre mm. of the, of the vocal sound. Mm. Um, in in quite um, yeah, in ways that would be difficult for us to um, consciously detect. Yeah, you just know I like that one better, but I don't know why. Yeah, right. I mean, as you develop your ear as as a producer and a and a, and a vocalist and a and a vocal coach, you start to kind of get a map of that. But it's it's nonetheless it it does it's like. An, anything from from the way that you stand you know to the way that you your facial expression and all of this stuff um has an effect on the on the on the sound and i and i expect i expect it will be the same for any any human making a noise right because their the body is connected to the instrument and like if, if there's tension somewhere 
that's going to find its way into the into the performance. Yeah. Even if it's only subtle. There's a there's um, a lack of the, freedom. Uh, say again. There's that lack of freedom. Well, I mean, in in order to do anything, we have to. There has to be some tension somewhere. So you know, it's like which tension and where is would mm. be the question. And you know, we we can't if we don't have the 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 self awareness to be able to say the third third muscle fiber in on your you know like like the so 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 this this thing this finger here has got there's um there's one tendon that connects to both your little little finger and the finger next to it right mm. you can't choose to activate an individual muscle fiber on one of those fingers right but if you're feeling something emotive that might, that may well alter which specific muscle fibers are acting in any given place mm -hmm. so um these are they're kind of like hacks mm -hmm. right they're like body body hacks you, you you can create um a response in your body and we rely on our bodies to make music whether we're singers whether we're guitarists whether, i mean you i mean no you can't i mean i was going to say like the theremin but even that no you of course mm -hmm. your distance to the instrument like the speed yeah. at which the fingers move to get the pitch it's like you we can't disembody ourselves mm. and our and our bodies are um manipulated by our mood yeah definitely and um yeah and our psychology and like we we're, we're mind bodies yeah. we're not <laughs> we're not yeah. detached yeah. which you know this is a thing that we're not heads in jars like in Futurama. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. We yeah. most certainly are not. <laughs> so sorry. I, I know I went off on one, and it's one of my as a singing as a singing coach. Yeah. It's a thing that I just come up against a lot. Is yeah. people need to get in their bodies, you know, and like yeah. remember that they're they're alive, living. And that makes things. a difference, doesn't it? When you hear like one vocal take to another vocal take, mm -hmm. it can make all the difference in yeah. And, and I mean, as you guys know, I work with vocals all the time um, as mm. a uh, as an engineer, as a producer. Um, and um, I might not necessarily be able to pinpoint what the difference is, but I know there's a difference. And I know it's for the better or for the worse, um, mm. just based on how it sounds. Um, and this is kind of like the crux of, of what today's episode is about. Uh, it's about how do we get um, the best sounds when we talk about recording, when we talk about the art of recording, all of the things that we've mentioned so far go into it, who's around, what space are you in, how is it lit, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then we've obviously got the um, technical things that are involved in all of that. So these are the things that are in front of us right now. Microphones, um, they would be things like... Um, the different levels that people are playing at in a room with you, if you're working in a band situation, um, the tonality, the timbre, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and we're going to spend some time just talking about that. So um, obviously, as an independent artist, um, particularly if you are an independent artist, you can choose to work with a producer and that producer may have a setup already. The likelihood is that they would at least have some form of um, you know, I can play some music and create some beats or compositions in my DAW. Um, I have some speakers. Um, we all have all of those things. Um, but 
to get sound in to record instruments um, as a guitarist, for instance, or a vocalist or a piano player, perhaps we need uh, some other stuff. Um, and I think one point that I wanted to make today, and um, this is something that we should talk about, um, is the importance of having a setup for yourself. Mm. Um, and I'm going to start with Chris because Chris, over the lockdown period, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Chris said to me, he was like, oh, hey, I mean, uh, so, you know, I'm thinking of getting a microphone and um, an audio interface in order to record some of my ideas in order to play them in and all of that kind of stuff. Um, Chris, when I spoke to you, how much did you spend on what I advised you to buy? I won't name any names of any brands mm. because they're not paying me to do it. Um, <laughs> but how much did you spend? I think it was like, for what I wanted, it was just, because uh, I play a bit of piano, play a bit of guitar and, you know, sing a little bit and like have the odd idea for a song. So just like, like to sketch stuff out just because it's uh, fun <laughs> for no other reason than it's fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and why I got into music in the, in the first place before it was even a career. Yeah. Um, and so I just wanted something that did that. And you recommended to me like a little audio, audio interface that would have like, I think just like a little two input thing. Um, and that it could do piano and vocal and guitar vocal at the same time. And that was it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I spent less than 110 pounds, I think on, on the whole lot. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously that's, I'm not trying to, you know, do anything that is, you know, all bells and whistles or anything, but it's it, it, between that and then just using GarageBand, it was like what I needed. <laughs> You had you had the laptop already, so you had the computer. Yes, yeah, sorry, yes. Yeah, so I had my yeah. laptop, which I yeah do all my work on. Um, so I already had that. So yeah. So the only things I need and had, which comes with GarageBand anyway. So the only thing I needed was like the interface and the mic and a, and a lead uh, and a stand. And so that allows you to capture your ideas and and, and let's the bare say, bones of a of a of a song yeah. basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So sort of the yeah. And let's say that you're let's say that you're an artist and and you want to go on to have a record and and that you produce um this would really class as and your ideas and sketches would class as a demo right yeah it's like an audio like a sketchbook is it like like you say it's like an audio sketchbook i suppose like to get the rough sort of demo to then yeah so i've got my song idea down now what do i do exactly so you would take that on to your producer mm -hmm. um or your co-collaborators or co mm -hmm. conspirators co-conspirators <laughs> co <-conspirators. laughs> and, and and those others who are involved in the process now ben as a vocal coach i know that um you also record people whilst they're doing their sessions am i correct um yes although the a, a phone recording is is like all i usually go for like i mean hmm if somebody comes in with like a nice little Zoom record, I'm not going to say no, don't don't you do that. But like a, a, a phone will do for me. Mm. Um, and and this kind of goes and and speaks a little bit more to um, to um, not even needing an audio interface and a microphone and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. So Ben, I want to know why you do this um, because I'm trying to extract something from you. Let's see if I can get it. Uh -huh. I'm trying to extract something from you, but why do you do that? 
why do I why do I why do you record your sessions? Why do we record the sessions? Well, it's so the so that the the student the client can can take the recording away and they can review it. They can yep. hear back what what happened in that session. So it'll act as a reminder for them to to do their practice. Um, yeah, um, I I sometimes use uh, recordings in the session to demo because obviously. If, if you're singing, you're you're hearing your voice through your own body, whereas everybody else is hearing it mm. from outside of of your body. Yep. So there's the stuff to do with bone conduction as it travels through into the ear that's going to affect how you sound. So sometimes I'll um, make a recording and uh, as a way of them hearing what it sounds like in the space. Mm. And usually, they think that they sound awful and they actually sound not too bad out here. So that's that's often the way um people get get really um really tense there are certain sounds as well that just sound a bit nasty in your own head mm. but sound great out here like yep. Yep. <laughs> so um one of the things when you get to the right point in your development as a as a singer you're going to want to start pressing in and moving into those sounds um and there's there's usually some psychological hurdles because it um if you've got a good musician, then they want to sound good. Hmm. And so if in their head they sound bad, they don't want to make that sound. Hmm. And yet, out here, when they make that sound, it sounds great. Yep. Yeah. So there's a certain um there's a certain place where they kind of need to drop their ego and their demand for listening to, to, to great music and agree to serve everybody outside of themselves yeah which yep. means sounding a bit weird or odd or nasty in their own head so i don't know if that was anything near what you were going for Amir, but it is well i'm going to pick up on a point that you were saying there as uh -huh. well but um before i kind of wrap up my point yeah um there's a very young artist i'm working with at the moment she's phenomenal she's a phenomenal singer um and uh i remember once we were doing a song and um there was a few things that I said to her, like maybe to kind of really dig into a sound, um, which she was like, that doesn't sound good. Mm. Um, but I was like, this sounds great to us. I mean, like I was sitting with one other producer and uh, manager in the in the control room and it just sounded phenomenal. But she was just like, uh, you know, so that's one thing. But also just on that topic, um, this is... Um, a voicemail syndrome okay so we used to have a service where you can you probably still can uh listen back to your voicemail when you leave it for a person yeah. hi ben um i'm calling about charting tracks can you give me a call back as soon as possible for instance you could listen to your voice recording and then when you listen to it you'd go oh my god do i really sound like that and obviously mm -hmm. you sound to yourself when you hear yourself back you sound awful um or at least I do. Um, but to everyone else, it's normal. Um, you sound pleasing and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are the points to pick up on there. But what I was trying to get from you, which I did actually get from you. Oh, I'm glad I could be of service. <laughs> was um, <laughs> when we record something, we're creating a record, right? So what we're doing is this is a record of how this thing was at this point in time. So... Mm. And obviously, when we talk about recording, we are talking about recording, you know, 
your phenomenal debut single, which is going to go to number one in all of the charts all around the world and all of this kind of stuff. But in reality, just to bring it back to where Chris was, um, Chris is recording his little sketches of his songs to give himself some sort of feedback, Hmm. to allow him Hmm. to review Hmm. his songs and his performances before he goes into the studio. Oh, yeah. And I think that this is one of the key things that we need to be able to take away is to have some sort of setup for yourself where before you even think about spending money on a producer and an engineer and all of that kind of stuff, just set aside a little little bit of money for yourself to get a, a basic setup to refine whatever it is that you need to refine and not really waste your time when it comes to the studio. That's a good point, because I was going to ask you then, how much writing happens in the studio and how much is it the writing's already done? Because I've seen from a... Sorry, I didn't want to step on your point. I I just want to ask that question because I've seen a lot of studio time being used for writing <laughs> and when you see it as a line item <laughs> in the bill at the end you're like yeah okay yeah 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 i spent loads of money on the studio and actually nothing was recorded or most of it was actually writing time yeah yeah it's very funny you know we see a whole host of things and um this kind of comes back to when ben was talking about roles um and the level of composition that happens outside Uh, versus the level that happens inside the studio. Um, I think different people work in different ways. So obviously because I have a studio which is mine and I'm a producer, Mm. I can invite people down Mm. to write alongside me um, and who would be considered my co-writers. However, and maybe if you're a band, let's take this slightly differently. If you're a band and you hire out a rehearsal room, Mm. It's not always to rehearse for a show. Uh, it can be to just, you, you know, jam out and write some music. Um, I personally, I, some of the higher ticket studios that I've worked in, you're talking some serious money per day for a room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's no writing that happens there. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it's all recorded. Yeah. Because that's some serious dollar in a room for a day. Um, yeah. Whereas... Smaller setups, um, again, home setups, maybe small project studios, there's that slight bit more time, more freedom to do some writing and composition in there, you know. Um, And um, it kind of goes back a little bit to what Ben was saying as well. Um, Like, you know, the level of composition that happens outside, but also what happens inside as well. Um, I think one of the points that... um, One of the things... If we use the example of Chris, hypothetically being an independent artist, doing all his demos, guitar, vocal, piano, vocal demos at home, and then coming to me and saying, Amir, I want you to produce this record. And he's like, you know, um, I want to um, have a massive string arrangement behind this. Um, Can we do that? We're composing in the studio at this point, right? Um, So we're writing in the studio because... You didn't have that when you came to me. I can start to put that together for you. I'll probably hand it off to a string arranger at some point. But at that point, we're writing in the studio. 
or we're we're saying there's I want a really fat beat to go behind this song um, about I don't know drinking Jack Daniels something like that or I need other drink by the way there's other drinks available um, <laughs> um, and we'd be writing and I'd consider that writing or composing yeah, yeah. at that point in time Definitely. so there's you know every artist is different I think um, every situation will be different in the studio um, typically speaking we'll have mics up ready to go for people and all of that kind of stuff. So we're not really wasting time as such. Um, but Chris, yeah, definitely the line item for writing <laughs> in the studio is quite common. Um, yeah. I've, I've been in some of those sessions, Chris, and I can tell you mm. not a lot of writing goes down. I was going to say, because it sounds like quite a pressurized yeah. environment, right? And it tends to be. And I've seen people either excel in that environment um, or not. Uh, I've seen people write three songs in an hour and I've seen mm. people take three hours and couldn't get one line out. Yeah. Um, mm. Everyone's going to work in a different way. So this is really why it's important for you to, uh, on a basic level, I would say, have some form of recording device um, which will allow you to form your ideas, but also to get an idea of what your voice sounds like if you're a vocalist or what your instrument sounds like or your song overall, what that sounds like. Um, kind of have a bit of a plan. And we've talked about planning before, but, you know, have a bit of a plan before you go into the studio just so you're not wasting everyone's time or money, including your own, you know? Yeah. The, the pre-production is really important part of it, isn't it? You know, and if, if you want to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds, right, um, then go in knowing that that's a choice you're making, hmm. right? So, so, like, know yourself, know what it is that you need, um, and then if you're willing to take the responsibility for that, then crack on and, and do it. But, um, yeah, so this thing about knowing yourself, again, we've, we've covered that too, haven't we, in earlier... Definitely. Like, knowing yourself as an artist, um, knowing, uh, yeah, knowing what you need and making sure that you've got that that kind of set up. Um, I mean, obviously, from just a pure business point of view, the more prepared that you are before you step in the studio, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, different people work in different ways. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do agree with that. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Charting Tracks. Please feel free to subscribe, like, comment, review, all of that stuff. And follow us on socials where we are at Charting Tracks. We'll try our best to answer any questions you may have. And we look forward to bringing you more of the same next time round. Until then, take care. 